you're still very much sitting in your pain and you don't feel it changing and your friends are ready to see you heal and they're ready to see you move on and they're ready to see change and somehow you can't get there. When it is just you, you know, it feels like a very heavy weight. Yeah. Um, and I remember my husband saying to me, you know, this is, this is not your problem, this is our problem. We're one and we're, you know, we were united under God and we're in this together. I had my first daughter, Collins, very easily. We prayed for her and bam, she was there. After we had her, we decided we wanted to kind of grow our family. And then I had had some losses. My husband and I went and saw doctors, got answers, and they gave me a 1% chance of having another child. What I went through, a lot of women go through. And um, I think sometimes like we're told to just buck up and you know, rub a little dirt in it and we don't like meet women where they're at in that journey and that it is very hard and that it does feel somewhat isolating. I remember begging God to just lead me whatever path I was supposed to go down to grow my family. And then I had this colicky, fussy, newborn that screamed at me 24-7 and I would be like, but she's healthy and she's alive, thank you God. Um, <laughs> but I was drowning. I remember having that clarity moment where I was like, I am not in control. This isn't about me. And I'm sitting here trying to manipulate every single moment of this and every single step and I've taken the joy completely out of it. Yeah. I just felt broken. You're still very much sitting in your pain and you don't feel it changing and your friends are ready to see you heal and they're ready to see you move on and they're ready to see change and somehow you can't get there. One of the girls in my small group came over and she was like, okay, show me what you're doing. Let's put her down for a nap. Um, you take a walk. I mean, just anything to help me get a breath of fresh air, to come back with clean perspective. Having that community of people that kind of let me sit in my pain. Sometimes you don't need somebody to come over and talk to you. You just need them to just sit with you. They don't have to have the answers. Just them being there or praying with you um, is, is enough. Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody. I'm glad you guys are here uh, at Seacoast Church. My name is Josh Surratt. And I serve as a lead pastor here, and uh, honored to be with you. Some of you may be new, been coming for the last couple of weeks, and you're like, how could that guy be the lead pastor? I haven't even seen him. Uh, you know, part, part of what I love about our church is that we do have a phenomenal teaching team, and we, uh, we, we're doing a series right now called Strength in Numbers, and really our, our church is an ex a byproduct of a strength of, of numbers. Great team. Uh, Joel did a great job last weekend leading us through prayer for our community, and uh, but we're glad you're here. I want to welcome all of our campuses as well. Uh, we love you guys. Two weeks ago, I was able to do about a three or four day retreat with our campus pastors. And man, I walked away from that just super grateful for the, the men that got us surrounded me with, the guys that lead our campuses. Will you appreciate your campus pastor uh, wherever you are today? We love you guys and are grateful to, uh, to be part of one church in 13 different locations. And um, also, before I jump in, this past week, after church on Sunday last week, our students gathered together. Custom had one night, had 900 students show up, 32 got baptized last Sunday night uh, following camp, which I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up in a youth group where there were 32 students uh, getting baptized and, and 900 students gathering to worship Jesus. And I'm just grateful for 
our next gen team and uh, again, strength in numbers all throughout and grateful for all of you. I have a question as we jump into the message. How many of you have ever done something stupid? Uh, you don't have to raise your hand now. Uh, under the influence of another person. How many of you have ever done something stupid under the influence of another person? Okay, good. A lot of most of us. Uh, most of us are being honest in church anyways. Still some liars among us, but this summer, uh, we took our kids on a cruise uh, for the first time ever. That was our family vacation, and the cruise is a hotbed for stupid decisions, um, honestly, to witness them and to make them myself. I mean, there were moments I'd be like, I can't decide what dessert to have. I'll take all of them. You know, that, those kinds of dumb, <laughs> dumb moves. But I decided that um, I wanted to, to walk the stairs as much as I could uh, because I knew that we wouldn't be eating really well on the cruise. And one, one day, I was walking up the stairs, and I overheard a conversation happening among teenagers. And there was one boy who's kind of the alpha, alpha teenage boy. He said, hey, you guys dare me to jump this entire set of stairs. And so we're talking about 10, 12 stairs. I don't know exactly how many, but it was a long ways down, probably 10, 12 feet down. And uh, he's like, y'all dare me to jump? And, and there were some among them, mostly the girls, that were like, hey, don't do that. That's dumb. Like, that's not a smart move. We should listen to the women more in our lives, shouldn't we? And there were some other friends that were like, don't be a wimp, man. Come on, you got it. You can do it. He's like, well, what I'm going to do, I'm going to jump and I'm going to grab the stairs above and catapult myself down the stairs. And I think I can do it. And he's talking a big game. Well, his friend who's standing next to him hadn't said anything yet. All of a sudden, a streak of courage comes over him or stupidity, one or the other. And he just out of nowhere doesn't say anything. The kid just jumps and goes for it. And, he, and the kid jumps and he grabs a hold of the stairs above and his hands slip and he goes horizontal and he falls and it's probably 10 feet down and it was bad, like broken, but it was bad. It was awful. I tried to get in there and, and help until people who really knew what they were doing got there and helped him. But his vacation was over and it was over because of the, the friends that were around him influenced him to make a really dumb decision. And as I was walking away from that moment, I, I had a flashback to a six-year-old version of myself. Had a very similar moment. I was six years old. We lived up in northern Illinois, and I had an older brother. Uh, he's about 16 months older than me. And, and my brother and some of his friends had joined a gang at the time. Uh, they actually created their own gang. And what six-year-old doesn't want to join a gang? I'm like, that sounds amazing. I'd love to be in that gang. And they're like, well, you can't be in the gang because you aren't cool enough to be and our gang, and they would go like explore the woods and they had these secret handshakes and secret, you know, phrases that they would use. And I felt like I was on the outside. So I'm like, I will do whatever it takes to join your gang. And so they said, all right, well, we're going to do a little initiation process for you to join the gang. And so I had to do some things. Uh, the parenting was really low at that point in our life. I, I don't even know where they were, honestly. <laughs> and so, um, so the last thing that I had to do was jump across a ditch. And so these guys all jump across this ditch with water and, and rocks and stuff in the middle of it. And so they all get across. They're older, they're bigger, they're stronger. And I go and I jump and, and I jumped halfway across the ditch. And I end up landing on my arm, broke my arm. Uh, my, my friends uh, around me made me do something that ended up with a cast on my arm for about three three months and had a trip to the ER and all that stuff. The cool part was that when people say, hey, how'd you hurt your arm? I'd be like, ah, oh, I got involved in a gang, gang fight. You know, that's all. <laughs> no, big, no big deal. But, but as, I, as I thought about that, I, I learned a valuable lesson that day. And the lesson is that the people in our lives can influence us to do things that we never would do 
on our own. Some of the things that I regret the most are things that I did. I wasn't thinking clearly. I was, I was in groupthink. I was thinking the same way that some of my friends were thinking. And it made me think about 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. In Proverbs 18, 24 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And, and we have all raised our hands. We've all experienced a, a testimony around that. But what if the opposite was true too? Well, what if we could harness that same you know, principle that the people around us would, would lead us to do things we never thought we would do? Well, what if the people around us actually had the potential, if there was power within our relationships, that they would take us to places that we never thought we would get to on our own. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks. We're starting a series called Strength in Numbers. Now, I realized when I was turning in my notes and I wanted to shorten that with an acronym that Strength in Numbers, the acronym for that is SIN. Uh, and so we're going to study SIN for the next couple of weeks. <clears throat> but but we're, we're going to explore the idea that, man, we could be stronger together. And honestly, if you're here today, maybe you're brand new to the church. You walked in for the first time today. This church is basically a byproduct of that principle. Yeah, I remember back in the first couple of weeks after we started when my dad called his friend Terry Hilders, who, who was in Colorado, was like, I need you to come out here. And, and Terry came along, and then it strengthened. And then others came along, and small group. I see Sandra Connell on the front row here serving small group leaders, served for a number of years with our custom student ministries. And part of what makes Seacoast great is, is the people that are here. And so you've walked into a community that, that is what it is because of this principle. But what we're going to do is, is hopefully help all of us see how we can surround ourselves with people and become the kind of people that create strength in numbers. I, I saw the opposite of, of the stories I told you earlier happen this week. I went to a friend's retirement ceremony this week. His name is Doug Fears. He's retired as a rear admiral in the Coast Guard. He was retiring exactly 40 years to the day that he started. And he started as a seaman recruit uh, on a boat. His job was to wash the deck and to clean up the kitchen and, and make meals for the other sailors. And 40 years later, he's retiring as an extremely decorated admiral in the Coast Guard. He had had an assignment a couple of years as the Homeland Security Advisor to President Trump a couple of years ago, he had experienced things he never thought he would experience. And his retirement ceremony was, was amazing. I met him when he was stationed here in Charleston as the commanding officer for the USS Hamilton. He actually was the commissioning officer for that boat, and he became a part of our church family, and we've stayed in touch. And so I went up to celebrate, and his retirement, man, you looked around, and it was a room full of military heroes, uh, government dignitaries people that we see on the news often for, for the way they serve our country. And, and it was amazing. Uh, it started, there were several different of these government dignitaries and military heroes that got up and just talked about Admiral Fears and what a great leader he was and, and what a great career he had had and honoring him with different awards and, and, and stuff like that. And then he gets up to do his part of the deal. And remember, this day is all about him. He gets up and I pull my notes out. I'm ready to take some notes. I mean, what kind of leadership am I going to glean 40 years of this incredible career? And you know what he did? He got up. He didn't give a leadership talk. 
He didn't talk about the things that he had learned and done and accomplished along the way. He got up and for 45 minutes, he went from different places that he was stationed in his career and he just highlighted different people. And he would say, hey, I remember when I was stationed here and Morris, that's when you came into my life. And, and man, I was at a place at that point where I thought I was going to quit. But that guy, he, he kept me going. And then he would move along and he would highlight different people and say, hey, man, you remember, I didn't believe that, that I was qualified for this role, but you convinced me to dream bigger and you convinced me that I could do it. And then he would call out another season and go, that's when I met so-and-so. And that person is the one who actually told me to go back to school and convinced me to further my education, to get training on this. And, and he stood up for 45 minutes and he didn't give any specific leadership principles, but he embodied a principle which says, man, the people that are around us are, are what are going to make, make or break us into the people that we're going to become. They're either, we're either going to surround ourselves with people who help us land in ERs and you know, vacation over moments, or we're going to surround ourselves with people who the cumulative effect of their influence on our lives is that we go further, we dream bigger, we experience more than we ever could have imagined on our own. And that is the story of this church. That's the story of the people around here, and it can be the story for us as well. How do we experience strength in numbers? What I want to do today is focus on one story in the Bible. It comes out of Mark chapter 2, and it's a story of a guy who experienced major transformation in his life due to the people that were around him. And so I want to read the story to you, and I, I'm just going to do a quick Bible study on uh, friendships and the, the right kinds of people in our lives. And so if you have your Bible or smartphone, uh, you can download the Seacoast app, or we'll have the notes here up on the screen as well for you. But Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, it says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. By the way, what is implied there theologically is really massive. I don't have a whole lot of time to get into that part of it, but the fact that Jesus didn't just heal his body, but he said that his sins were forgiven was basically Jesus making a claim to be the son of God. And, and the religious leaders knew that and it bothered them. Says some of the religious teachers of the law were sitting there, thought to themselves, What is he saying? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Well, what they didn't know is that God can also read their minds and their thoughts. And so Jesus heard <laughs> what they were thinking. Some of y'all are thinking critical thoughts about me right now. Y'all better be careful. God knows what you're thinking. And so Jesus, it says, he knew immediately what they were thinking. And so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up and pick up your mat and walk? What kind of question is that? I mean, he basically throws a, a riddle at them. Well, what do you guys think? What's easier? You know, and, and the, the obvious answer to me would be, well, I would think that it'd be easier to say your sins are forgiven because I can't see the results of that. But if I say, get up and, and walk, that's, I mean, everybody's going to notice that. Well, Jesus knows, I actually know it's actually a lot easier 
for him as a son of God to heal a guy's body. What he would ultimately do is give up his life on a cross to forgive all of our sins. But he asks him this question and he says, so I will prove to you that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Never seen anything like what, what an amazing story. I mean, this Bible story really does almost preach itself, but you've got this, this guy and, and, and Jesus is preaching in this home and, and it's growing and, and this guy is brought to, this is my workout mat. So I, I use this mat to, to work out on, but, but this guy comes in and he's on a mat and it would look nothing like this. In fact, uh, Mark Turnage is here. Mark is our guide when we go to Israel. Uh, and I tell you all the time, come to Israel with us. Um, if you're not already signed up for it, you can't come to Israel with us this fall, but we'll do it again. But Mark would tell you that the mat looks nothing like this. It was a mat that would have been made out of straw and put together. But, but, but this mat, which for me represents when I'm ready to work out for him, this represents his life. This is where, this is where he is now confined to because of this condition that he's, he has. We don't know how long he's been paralyzed. We don't know why he's paralyzed. He may have jumped on a cruise ship uh, down some stairs. I have no idea. But we know that this mat represents his disability. It re represents the place of greatest pain in his life. He can't do anything for himself. And so these four men grab each corner of this mat and they bring him to the feet of Jesus. And the end result is that the place of his greatest pain ends up being a mat that he rolls up and puts under his arm and it becomes his testimony of what God has done in his life. It's an amazing story. A fascinating story. And I want to just look at it a little bit closer as we study what, what kinds of friends do I want to surround myself with? What kind of friend do I want to become? A few things stood out to me. The right kinds of friends, first of all, come close when people are hurting. The right kinds of friends. If, that, if I'm going to experience strength in numbers in my life, I need to be the kind of friend and surround myself with the kinds of friends who come close to people when they're hurting. Have you ever had a friend walk out of you or walk out on you when you needed them the most? Maybe you were going through a tough breakup. Maybe you were going through a season of life where you felt trapped. You felt addicted. You couldn't get out on your own. And the people that you really needed the most walked out on you. Maybe you were walking through grief and it felt like nobody really saw you. Like we heard in Jenny's story today. And the, the truth is, in this story, you have a guy who's paralyzed. We don't know his story. We don't know how long. But what I do know is that the result of his paralysis is that life was very, very difficult for him. He couldn't do anything on his own. And because of that, life became very, very difficult for the people who were around him. I mean, everything changed for them. It became very hard. I wonder how many people walked out on him during that season. Maybe they were there in the beginning, but over time, it just became too hard of a journey for them. But we know there were four people who, in spite of the great burden that his paralysis may have placed on their relationships, they chose to stay. 
They understood, and you, and, and you learn when you go to Israel and you study the culture that there was embedded in their culture this belief that our strength was meant to be shared with those who don't have it. The, the, the community aspect was much bigger, much of a bigger of a deal than it is maybe in our more individual society here in, in Western culture. But they, they knew that their job was to lean in and to be there for this guy. And so they came close in the midst of his pain. It makes me think about Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Who in your life is paralyzed right now? They may not be paralyzed in their body, but maybe they're paralyzed by fear or anxiety. Maybe they're paralyzed by just a brokenness in, in relationships. Maybe they're paralyzed by their own sin, their own stuff, stuff that they, they can't get out of on their own. It could be that they're paralyzed because of mental illness or an addiction that they feel trapped in. Are you the kind of friend that would come close in the time of pain? Did you know that according to that verse in Proverbs 17, 17, everybody wants to know what's my purpose, right? Why am I here on earth? Part of your purpose is to step into other people's pain. You were born for adversity. You were born to lean into the lives of your friends when they go through trouble. And, and I'm believing and praying that here at Seacoast, we would just get this, that we would we would almost, because it's, it's the heart and the nature of our God. The Lord draws near to the brokenhearted. We know that that's part of his nature so that we would, when people are hurting, we would just be attracted to that, that we would come close to pain. It's part of why I love my dad, you know, our founding pastor, Greg Surratt. That's been part of our ethos as a church from the very beginning. He would say things like, hey, here at Seacoast, we don't shoot our wounded. You know, we're, we're here. We're supposed to be a hospital for sinners, not a country club for saints. Like this isn't a church where perfect people come and, and get it. By the way, that's worth applauding for, I think. If you are perfect, please don't come to this church. You're going to mess it up. I, I think about Darren Patrick, who uh, was one of our teaching pastors, and we lost Darren uh, tragically a couple of years ago. But man, I remember when Darren came on staff at Seacoast. He had blown up his life and made some decisions and had gone through some pretty tremendous consequences and lost his church. And, and man, when everybody else it felt like was, they didn't want to get near this guy because of the reputation and because it was like my dad just had this, this heart of compassion that was like, no, I'm going to come into your life and I'm going to be your friend. And over time, it opened up an opportunity for us to, to reintroduce him to ministry. And, and many of us were blessed because because my dad said, no, we don't shoot our wounded here. And he spends his days now, Monday through Thursday, out at the retreat, investing in the lives of pastors, many of whom are broken, many of whom, whom are thinking about quitting. They're paralyzed in a lot of different ways. But he said, no, that's not, what, that's not the kind of church that we're going to be. And so if you're here today and you feel like, man, I kind of identify with that paralyzed man in the sense that there's no reason I should be here today. <laughs> That Man, I, if you knew my story, if you knew what I've gone through, you'd know I don't really belong in a church. I want you to know you're in the right place today. This is a church where we do our very best to, to come close to people who are hurting, to, to enter into our pain, to, rather than throwing judgment or shade at you for whatever you've gone through. We want to get into the mess and walk it with you and watch God do something miraculous as a result of it. That's my story. 
You're sitting in a row of people. That's their story. And it's, I'm believing by God's grace going to be your story too. So if I'm going to be a good friend, if I'm going to experience strength in numbers, we got to, we got to come close to our friends who are hurting. Another thing that I noticed about friends here in the story is that the right kinds of friends, they don't take no for an answer. They don't take no for an answer. Let's jump back into the story. Verse four, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. I want to stop on that point for just a minute here. Like, first of all, they, they, they've, they've worked very hard, right? I mean, you got four guys, one on each corner. I don't know how long they've carried this guy. I do know there had to be at least one or two of these guys lived in the country because uh, city boys don't figure out how to get a guy on a mat, you know, uh, across town, right? So Manning Campus, shout out to you guys. We had some country boys. They're carrying him. And I don't know how many times he fell off the mat. I don't know how many times they had to stop and reposition him, but they carry him and they finally get him to, to the feet of Jesus or to the church where Jesus is, right? The home. And it's one of those weekends at church where there aren't any parking spots out there. It's gone to overflow. It looks a lot like the 10 o'clock service here in the Mount Pleasant campus. And I, and I wonder if you know, by the way, there are a lot of people critical of churches that are growing and crowded churches. And I think God blesses churches of all different sizes. But I do know that the characteristic of the presence of God being in a church, it's going to be attractive. People are going to want to come. And that home that he was in, it was crowded. There were people everywhere. It wasn't convenient. And they get there. I wonder if there was one of them that was like, hey, it's a closed door, man. You know, we tried. We did our best. But sometimes God gives closed doors. But there was at least one guy that was like, you know what? I'll bet there's another way in. <laughs> Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, hey, there's another door. There's another door. How many of us have faced closed doors in our life, right? The closed door of disappointment. I mean, they had gone all this way hoping. And it's like, oh, it's a closed door. Some of us have faced the closed door of discouragement in our life. He had a closed door of disability. But man, he had some friends who refused to take no for an answer. They're like, you know what? We're going to figure something out. I imagine one of them, his name was probably Bubba. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go back. I'm going to go out back and see if I can find another way in. And he comes back out and he's got a shovel and he's got a, a pickaxe. And he's like, hey, I got a key. I found a way in, guys. Let's figure this out, right? And I remember from being actually in the ancient city of Capernaum and seeing some of these homes there are actually, it's not quite as dramatic as we might think about the roof, but there are stairs that would get you up to the roof, and these roofs are made of, of uh, you know, dirt and clay and maybe some tile, and these guys start digging a hole. They made a door where there wasn't a door. You need some friends in your life that will make a door where there doesn't seem like there's a door, and I understand that there are times that, that we face closed doors, and, and that's part of life, and, and God teaches us through that. I'm not saying there are never those moments, but man, you better be sure that door is locked shut. And you better have the friends that would go, you know what? We're going to figure it out. We're going to find a way in. I think about when, when dad started this church, you know, there weren't a whole lot of people like standing around saying, hey, that's a great idea. Let me give you some money. Let me open. No, he had to, he had to get some friends that were like, we're going to open that door. We're going to figure it out. We'll rent out a movie theater. And, and my job was to t take the gum off of the bottom of the seats before people got there. Uh, so, Cause it was like, man, we're going to make a door. We're going to figure it out. We're going to, we're going to do whatever it takes to get to the feet of Jesus. And man, I'm praying again for some tenacious friends in your life, for some friends that just won't take no for an answer.
The kinds of friends that when they ask you how you're doing and you say, hey, I'm doing pretty good, they're not going to stop there. Like, they're not accepting that answer, right? I think about the men's hike. I think about the sisterhood small groups. I think about these people. I mean, this place is full of friends that aren't just going to let you sort of coast by with, ah, yeah, I'm doing okay. No, if there's something wrong, they're going to lean into that. And they're going to try to get involved and step into that mess. You know, about a year and a half ago, I got sick with COVID. And uh, I didn't expect it to hit me in the way that it did. I felt like I was a relatively in-shape guy, but man, it, it ravaged my body. And I, I, was, I felt like I was dying. I couldn't breathe. And, and I, I know for me, when I think about a tenacious friend, I think about my wife, married 21 years now, and, and she went to PA school, so she has a medical background. I also think about Sam. I think about a lot of friends that, that fed my family during that season. There were a lot of tenacious friends, but, but Lisa knew that I needed a treatment. And because of, you know, some different protocols and different issues where I was, I couldn't get that treatment. And the doctors had told us, hey, he's not, he's not qualified for that treatment. Uh, I didn't weigh enough. I didn't have enough comorbidities to get that treatment. And, and so I would wake up in the morning at the hospital and Lisa would call and she'd be like, hey, I really want you to talk to the doctor today about this treatment. And I'm like, I can't even breathe, babe. I don't care. You know, the doctors know what they're doing. I'm not. But she just knew. She would call the night nurse at midnight because she knew that was the time where they were least busy, and she would just talk to her, and how's he doing, and what about this treatment, what about this treatment, and so eventually, we, we had a conversation on Easter Sunday morning, actually, and the doctor came in, and we got Lisa on FaceTime, and I'll never forget, I just listened to her, and that she was very respectful and cordial, and she respects and honors that, that role, and she said, hey, here's my question for you. If you believe that this treatment isn't going to help Josh, then I trust you. Like, you're the one treating this disease. I am not. But if it's red tape, if it's some kind of uh, you know, structural issue, if it's some kind of legal issue, I will fight any of that. I will figure it out. If you think that this is going to help him, let's do it. Let's make it happen. And the doctor called about 45 minutes later and he said, you know what? We're doing this treatment because it's what you need. And, um, and, and, and my wife was that tenacious friend for me that she fought for me when I couldn't even fight for myself. And we need friends like that. We need to be that for each other, that, man, we're just going to get in the grind. We're going to be tenacious, and we're going to fight. The right kinds of friends, they come close to people who are hurting. They, they don't take no for an answer. And the last thought, which is really the culmination of this, is that the right kind of friends do whatever it takes to get their friends into the presence of Jesus. They do whatever it takes to get them in the presence of Jesus. Look at verse 4. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I was thinking about this story. This is just crazy. Can you imagine? I mean, we're here in church right now. I'm up here preaching. Can you imagine? I mean, there are distractions that happen in church, right? I mean, a baby will cry from time to time. That's okay. We work through that. Sometimes the person who's sitting in the middle of the aisle has to get up and, and go grab a, a child, and it's, it's a little bit inconvenient. But can you imagine? I'm, I'm here preaching, and all of a sudden, Stuff starts falling from the roof. <laughs> I actually almost had some friends on the catwalk to illustrate this, but I didn't trust them enough. I didn't know what they might throw at me. But stuff starts falling from the roof. I'm looking at some of our ERT. Like, I don't know that this guy would have made it to the feet of Jesus in this church today. Uh, but, but I mean, they, they ripped the roof off of this place. And then you had to have an engineer among these country boys because they figured out a way on a mat to lower him down. I mean, he could have fallen off the mat and, and Jesus could have been paralyzed. You know, this could have been a bad deal. Major disruption. It had to be very awkward for everybody in the room. 
Nobody's expecting this, but they did whatever it took to get this guy where he needed to be, which was at the feet of Jesus. Why would they go to such lengths? Why would they fight so hard? Because they knew that in the presence of Jesus, anything could happen. And seeing whose faith? Seeing their faith. This guy didn't even have enough faith on his own. I don't even know if this guy believed that this was all worthwhile. I have no idea what the conversation was, but it was when Jesus saw the faith of the people that he had surrounded himself with. He looks at him and he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, again, if I'm one of these guys, I'm like, hey, I, I carry this guy a long way. I didn't carry him here just for his sins to be forgiven. Like, I know he's got issues. <laughs> but here's what's interesting when we get in the presence of God is he sees what we need beyond what we thought we needed, beyond what our friends even thought that we needed. And he knew that what this man needed more than anything first was for the weight of his sins to be removed from him. And it's the same thing you and I need. There may be some of you that are here today and you kind of identify with this paralyzed man. You feel like it was a miracle that you got here yourself and you're stuck in something that you cannot fix on your own. I mean, this man could not get off of this mat on his own. And he didn't even have the words to say, hey, Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you? I'm going to pray this prayer and get this. He didn't have any of that. He just had some friends that loved him a lot and did whatever they could do to get him at the feet of Jesus. And God spoke right to what he needed. And I believe he's going to do the same thing for you today. You can't handle the weight of your sin. You can't live under the burden of your shame and of your sin. And Jesus, because he is the son of God, it wasn't controversial unless he wasn't God, but he was. And later he would go to a cross and he would actually bear the weight of that sin that we couldn't bear on our own. He would die a horrific death so that we could be free, so that we could experience a weight lifted, so that we could actually take the point of our greatest pain and shame, addiction, burden, and ultimately, like this guy did, we could pick up that mat and we could roll it up. And the thing that maybe you walked in here today most ashamed of, most burdened by, as we respond together in response time, you're going to experience the power of God on your life in such a way that you're going to walk out of here with a testimony of what God had done, because that's what he did. He walked out of that place carrying a visual testimony of the greatest pain that he'd ever walked through and what God had done in his life. Y'all, we need to be the kinds of friends that will do whatever it takes to get our friends, our loved ones in the presence of God, because in the presence of God, anything can happen. And there are some of you that are here today. You have a child that has been strayed, been walking away, and it's created a great deal of pain for you. Do whatever it takes to get him in the presence of Jesus. Ideally, you know, that may be a conversation where you share the gospel. Some of you feel confident to do that. But man, if, if you can't do that, get him here, get him into a church where they're going to hear about the love and grace of Jesus. And then there are some that maybe they won't darken the doors of the church. That's why during response time, we're going to light candles. I am the byproduct of a praying mom and a praying dad and a praying grandma who prayed me into the presence of Jesus. 
And we're going to do that. Yeah, we're going to carry the presence of Jesus with us into every conversation. To go, God, what are you doing here? I want to be a part of it. But would you pray with me as we close? God, I thank you that today we're standing in your presence. And God, we didn't have to climb through a roof to get here, but we got here and we're here. And so, Jesus, I thank you that you know what every one of us needs on a very intimate and personal way. And I pray, God, that you would give us what we need. I pray, Lord, first of all, that we would experience the forgiveness of your sin, of our sin. God, I thank you that you paid for our sin. And if you're here today and you feel buried by a mistake that you've made or a pattern of mistakes that you've made, I just want you to, to receive the forgiveness of your sins from Jesus, the Savior of the world. God, you were a Savior then and you're a Savior now. Do it now in our midst. Lord, some of us need a physical healing. And God, you are a healer that day and when the paralytic needed it, and you're a healer now. And we pray, God, that you would just fill this place with the power of your spirit and that you would do what only you could do. And God, I pray for our church. I pray, God, that we would embody this kind of friendship. Lord, that we would be the four, we would be the four that would carry our friends into your presence at whatever cost, because we know that in your presence, anything could happen. Help us to be that kind of friend. Help us to find those kinds of friends. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.